in your turn with me in your copy of the scripture to Mark chapter 16. And uh, we will consider the resurrection. Next week, we're going to kind of hang around on this theme. Actually, not the resurrection, but what came before the resurrection. In between the burial and the resurrection. So, uh, be praying about that. Now, the resurrection, you know, all, all that, that Jesus did, he was a, he was a great teacher, and uh, people don't have trouble believing that. Matter of fact, people like, a lot more people like Jesus than like the church, um, but Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. So we love the church, and it's, it's the, it is the body of Christ. But the resurrection, it goes beyond his teaching and his, and his living and, and his being nice to everyone, although he wasn't particularly nice to the to the religious folks, calling them a brood of vipers and such as that. That's not considered all that nice. But but the resurrection changes everything. It it proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and who he claimed to be was the Son of God. Matter of fact, God in the flesh. And, and the resurrection is necessary to accomplish God's purpose in in, in what what he started in the, in the incarnation, or what we could see start in incarnation. Actually, it began before the foundation of the world, and we couldn't see all that. But a dead Savior doesn't save anybody. And so the resurrection is important to those who need salvation, which is all of us. And the good news is, he is risen. Now, we're, at, we're in chapter 16 of Mark, and I didn't have the whole chapter read, and one of the reasons is because you probably have a note in your Bible that comes after or around verse 8, or before the beginning of verse 9, that talks about the rest of the uh, of this, this section of, of Mark being um, not included in all the older oldest manuscripts. Matter of fact, there are a couple of oldest manuscripts dated A.D. 325 and A.D. 340, which are a long time from from when Mark was written. Mark was the first gospel written. And, uh, and, and in those oldest two copies of the manuscript of Mark, the verses 9 through 20 are excluded. Okay. And there are about a hundred manuscripts that are in languages other than Greek that, that leave out verses 9 through 20. But it is kind of an abrupt ending there, don't you think? And they've talked about the resurrection of Jesus and Mary and the women being there to, to anoint him and seeing an angel who says he's risen and then telling them to go tell the disciples and Peter, including Peter. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Is that the way you would end your gospel? I mean, it's possible God, God can end the gospel any way he wants to. But the majority of ancient manuscripts, although not the oldest, uh, do include verses 9 and through 20. And many early Christian writers, some whose writing predate A.D. 325, such as, as Justin Martyr, you've probably heard of him, or Irenaeus, and uh, Hippolytus, who was a bishop of Portus, all those wrote and quoted or referred to the verses that are in between 9 and 20. So, it, it is, it's evident that, that 
these verses did exist and that they were accepted by the, the early church. So what might have happened? Well, one of the reasons that, that 9 through 20 are in question is because about a third of the language in that section is different from all the other language in Mark. So what possibly has happened is that, that the scroll or the, that was being copied or a favorite scroll for, for being copied lost those last, those last verses. Maybe they were damaged, unreadable or something, and so the, the scribe stopped at nine. And then maybe there was a scribe who had translated it or written it before and remembered what was in that section, and he filled in that section. And that would account for the difference in the language, but the, but the story being there. We don't know. But, but the early church appears to have accepted that section. So the little note in your Bible doesn't mean stop here necessarily. It just lets you know that there's a shift. And, and so we're going to go ahead and, and make some reference to them, some of those verses as we go. Now, let's look, at, look back at, at what we have read and what we do know from these first eight verses. We, we see that, that the women who were coming to, to uh, take care of the body of Christ after his crucifixion uh, didn't have a total understanding of, of what had happened. Matter of fact, we can see through through the, the accounts in the other Gospels that, that nobody understood what had happened. Although Jesus had talked to them and told them over and over. Matter of fact, the, I think the last time in the, in the Gospel of Mark is in chapter 10. As they're approaching Jerusalem, he says, Look, I'm going, we're going to Jerusalem. And they're going to, I'm going to be turned over to the... To the authorities, to the, the, the religious authorities, and they're going to beat me, and they're going to crucify me, and on the third day I'm going to be raised from the dead. But that doesn't sink in, because how can you put that in, in, in a context of real life, certainly before the resurrection of Christ? How, how do you, you know, you've you got to figure, he's speaking figuratively or something. Something just, just doesn't ring, not that it doesn't ring true, but, but how do we understand that? And they thought there must be a way to understand it other than literally. And so the, the ladies who are coming on this morning, they're coming bringing spices for a deteriorating Savior. They, they recognized him as Lord. They recognized him as, as something special, something beyond a prophet. And he is the Lord. But now they've seen him crucified. They're going to his tomb where he has been laid, and this would have been the first opportunity that they had because Jesus was put in the tomb just before the, the Sabbath began on Friday evening, and then it would have ended on, on Saturday evening, but it was dark then, and so Sunday morning, the first day of the week, as, it, as daylight is coming, they are ready, and they're headed to the tomb where Jesus was laid. They knew where he was laid, but they are ready to go and anoint a deteriorated body. They weren't going to embalm him. Some people say, well, that, you know, that can't be true because the Jews didn't embalm. They didn't say they were going to embalm him. They were going to anoint the body, sweeten it up a little bit. So they're expecting something pretty, pretty gross. They're expecting something very dead. And as they approach, they're wondering, how are we going to get in? How are we going to have access to this deteriorating body of our Lord Jesus Christ? The stone's big. The stone is heavy. 
I'm sure it took several people to put it in place and these ladies are thinking on their way there, how are we going to get in to take care of the business that we want to take care of? As a matter of fact, in Matthew 27, it tells that there were guards stationed at the tomb because the religious leaders wanted to make sure that, that the disciples of Jesus didn't come and steal away his body since Jesus said his body was going to be resurrected. And they said that would complicate things even more. So we need a seal put up on the tomb and we need guards stationed, Roman guards stationed, to, to watch over it. These Roman guards would have been guarding it with their life. And so the ladies are coming. They want to roll the, two, the, the stone away. They want access to the body of Christ so that they can put some, some uh, sweetness on it. And, and they're wondering how they're going to get in. They don't understand where they are going and what they are going to encounter. And they have no idea how they're going to pull off what they have planned. Why? Why, why, did, why, why didn't they... Expect Jesus to be resurrected. Why were they worried about a stone being in place that was placed there by man when God in the flesh, the Son of God, said, I'm going to be raised? Because blindness creates unbelief. And, and, and unbelief feeds blindness we're not talking about physical blindness, but we're talking about spiritual blindness and maybe even emotional and, and you know, some other kinds of blindness. And let me tell you, show you how blind Mary was, Mary Magdalene. You might turn over to the Gospel of John chapter 20, which is a parallel of, of this section where they're going to the tomb and they go inside. And Mary, who loved Jesus and, and followed Jesus for a long time, she's going to the tomb with these spices to anoint this, this dead body. And when she gets there, she encounters an angel. Look at verse 11 in John chapter 20. Mary stooped, weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Okay, is that a contradiction? Did Mark say there was only one? No, he said there was one. There can be one if there are two. Okay. He referred to one. But she sees two there sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at, one at the head and one at the feet. And they say, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, you dumb angels, someone has stolen Jesus' body. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if angels are that unrecognizable or what. But she knew that she had a right and a reason to be weeping because Jesus' body is missing. And they have the ignorance and the audacity to ask her why she is weeping. And so she fills them in on what the problem is. So I'm going to say Mary's unbelief is pretty thorough. Even though she loved Jesus, she knew he was the Lord, this resurrection thing is just so far from what 
most people consider reality. And she just couldn't take it in. And so she, you know, she, she, she corrects an angel. And if, if we go on down back to Mark in, in verse 10, it says she went after having in, encountered the angel and, and him telling her that Jesus was risen and that, that he was going to, to meet them in Galilee like he had told them. She, along with others, continued to to misbelieve. Well, not only she, as she spoke to the angel, but she goes and talks to those who had walked with Jesus in verse 10. And she told them, those who had been with him, it says, as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they wouldn't believe it. Well, well that's reasonable. Because she didn't believe what an angel said. And she didn't really believe until she met Jesus on, on the way. And so she went and told his disciples and they didn't believe it. Why? Because blindness breeds unbelief and unbelief breeds blindness. Now I like what the angel says here, is quoted as saying here in Mark. He says, he is risen, verse 7. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee and there you shall see him just as he told you. There are so many questions we have about God and about the will of God and, and the ways of God and we wonder about them and the angel, if we were talked to one of them, would say, it's just like he told you in his word. What is the will of God for my life? Well, the word of God says it is your sanctification. The will of God say, uh, the, the word of God says it is to do his will. The word of God says it is to trust him and to walk in faith. To walk by faith and not by sight. What's the will of God? Oh, he's, he's got it all hidden out there. No, it is just like he said. And when I, I didn't say say it because I'm from the South. I said say it for emphasis. That's the way the angel said it, I'm pretty sure. He say it. Don't call me a dummy. Because the resurrection changes everything. Up to this point, they had heard about Jesus being crucified and being buried and being raised from the dead. And the scripture had, had referred to it. All, all of it is according to the scripture. But the resurrection changes everything. And, and one of the indications of that is how the angel referred to Jesus. He says, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if anybody were looking for an authority figure or someone of power, they would not go to anybody whose name included of Nazareth. Because you remember when, when Nathaniel heard from Philip about Jesus being of Nazareth, he, Nazareth, he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? calls him Jesus of Nazareth. That's, that's not a, a, a high title. He, and then he says, 
that you're, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Well, crucifixion, that is the most awful kind of, of execution that could be imagined. And the Old Testament says anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Anybody who is hanged is cursed. And, and, the, and the Romans had come up with a special way of hanging people that was even more disgusting and, and, and more shameful. And that's what Jesus had been through. And that's how the angel described Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He's been crucified. But the resurrection makes all that different. Because he says, this Jesus of Nazareth, this somebody from nowhere, this one who is crucified, who has been put to the ultimate shame, is risen. The resurrection adjusts all that other stuff. It changes that shame to glory. It makes the name of Jesus, of Nazareth, the name above every name. The resurrection changes everything. Paul said it was his glory. It was his cause of glory that he would boast of nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ, which includes the resurrection. I want to I want to read some over in in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. If you've been to a funeral, you've probably heard First Corinthians chapter fifteen, because it talks about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And in First Corinthians fifteen three, it says, "For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture that He was buried and He was raised on the third day." according to the scripture. That's the first thing Paul said. When I come talk to people, that's what I tell them. That Jesus Christ has been crucified, just like the scripture said he would be. And he has been buried, just like the scripture said he would be. And he has been raised, just like the scripture said he would be. Because that changes everything. And if you go on down to to chapter 7, verse 17 in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. But because Christ is raised, your faith is not futile, is the, is the insinuation here, and that you are no longer in your sin. Because of the resurrection, our sins have been dealt with, with those of us who put our trust in him. So, the resurrection of Jesus is historical. I mean, you can look at, at, at secular history and find out that there was a Jesus, that he did these teachings, he came from, from Nazareth, he, he did the things that the Bible tells us about, and he was crucified, and he was buried, and from then on he was unaccounted for. Now, the unaccounted for part is explained by the Bible. The angel said here, he is risen. He's not here. Look at where he was. One of the Gospels talks about his, his, his grave clothes being arranged there. But that didn't, that didn't convince Mary. What convinced her was meeting the risen Jesus. So the resurrection is historical, but it's a declaration. The Bible tells us that it's a declaration of his being the Son of God. 
Romans 1 4. Three says he was a descendant from David according to the flesh. And he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his... What you got? Resurrection Resurrection from the dead. See, that's the declaration. That is the the proof of what he always said he was and what what he said was going to be true. What was going to happen, what he described as happening, actually did happen. He was... Declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ is Lord. So the, the resurrection is explained as, as the, the declaration of, of Jesus being the Son of God. Uh, the Bible explains that, that the resurrection is the assurance of our resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 Since he died and rose again, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in faith. So because Jesus has resurrected, the Bible tells us that we who have put our trust in him will also be resurrected. It's an assurance of our resurrection. It is a proof of us having a high priest who can intercede for us. Hebrews 7. Verse 16 says, Jesus has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. How do we know his life's indestructible? Because he couldn't remain dead. And so we have a high priest who can understand us and who constantly intercedes for us. Verse 25 in that, that same chapter. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. And so the Bible explains the resurrection, the historical fact, and it explains that we have a high high priest who always intercedes for us. David Guzik, a commentator that I read a lot, said this, Resurrection is the receipt for the payment made on the cross for the totality of our sins. That receipt that shows that his payment was accepted by the Father for our justification. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. I I try not to preach from the hymnal, although it's worthy. And so I'll back it up with scripture. You can go to Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. Verse 24 says, For ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, that explains the resurrection. It was for our justification so that we can be made right with God. So that our sins, shows that our sins are dealt with in his sacrifice, by his sacrifice. So that we are acceptable to God. And we can really come to him through the the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we can know the power of his resurrection 
as well as the fellowship of his suffering. So the resurrection, according to Romans 10, the resurrection of Christ is salvation for those who believe, who believe in their heart, confess with their mouth that he is raised from the dead. That's salvation. Now, it's hard to believe in resurrection because, I mean, certainly for... For, for the people here that are described going to his grave and those who buried him and those who were mourning over his loss, it's hard for them to believe in resurrection because there had never been one before this. Now, there had been some resuscitations. Remember, in the Old Testament, Elijah raised a, a, a woman's son back to life who had died. The, the son had died. And Elisha did similarly. And Jesus... He, he raised the, the, the ruler's little, little daughter back to life. Even the people who were around said, there's no need to, to come and pray for her now. She's dead. And Jesus said, you don't know anything. Back off. And he raised her, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and she was raised. And, and met a, a funeral at, uh, led by a widow of the city of Nain whose son had died. And Jesus touched that son. And brought him back to life. He, he called Lazarus out of the grave. And, and Lazarus came forth. Now all those people came back to life. But they were only resuscitated. And the difference is when you're resuscitated you die again. Regardless, you know, if you are an EMT. And you, can, you find somebody on the road who has, whose heart has stopped beating. And their lungs may have stopped functioning. And you may be able to get blood circulating. And you may be able to get air flowing again. And you may be able to get them well enough that they can stand back up on their feet. But one of the things that's going to happen after that is they are going to die again. Unless they put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In which case, now we know we can have eternal life. So Jesus was the first one to be resurrected. And as a result of his resurrection, all who put their trust in him will be resurrected. Will never die. We have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That doesn't start when you die. That really starts before the foundation of the world because God knows who's, who's put their trust in him. God has arranged for them to put their trust in him. And so eternal life is for eternity. Mary rejected the overwhelming evidence, the rolled away stone, the empty tomb, the, neat, the tomb, the empty grave clothes, the angel testimony, even one, I don't remember which gospel it is, remember she's in the, in the garden and, and she's weeping and Jesus comes up and she turns to him and says, oh, Mr. Gardener. Where have you put him? Tell me and I'll go get him. It was Jesus himself, but she didn't recognize him until he called her name. She rejected all that testimony because the resurrection was such a wild idea. And when she accepted it is when he called her by name. She eventually believed him because the Lord provided what she needed to believe. How could anybody believe in the resurrection? It's, 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 it cannot be proved scientifically. It, it sounds so backwoods. 
unintellectual. How, and, and even people who would like it to be true would like the, the idea of living forever if their sins are forgiven. I, I promise you there are some people who hope they will not live forever and hope that there is no eternal life because they know because of the way they have lived, because their rejection of God, their eternal life would be eternal punishment. Not separated from God. We'll talk about that some more next week. Because God is everywhere. Hell is not separation from God. Hell is the presence of the wrath of God for eternity. And there are some people who would like to believe that, that, that the resurrection is, is, is real and that they could, they could be, have peace with themselves and peace with God. But it's just so foreign. How could it possibly be true? It is made real by God himself, by the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. If you have come to believe in the resurrected Savior, you did not come to that point because you are so intellectual. You did not come to that point because you are such a voracious reader of the Scripture. You have come to that point because the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart and made that truth ring true to you. Because he has given you what you wanted when you sought him with an honest heart. When you truly desired truth, the truth was known to you. That's, that's not just New Testament stuff. That's Old Testament stuff. Jeremiah, we, read, we heard it read this morning in, in Sunday school time. Then, Jeremiah 29, 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. If you truly desire to know God, if you truly desire to be able to believe the gospel that Jesus has paid for your sin, that he's raised from the dead, that he offers you salvation, that he is a high priest who constantly makes intercession for you, that he is willing to save you and make you a new creation. If you honestly present yourself to God, he will give you that faith because we are not saved by intellect. We're not saved by the, by the persuasive preaching of anyone. We are saved by grace. Through faith, and even that faith is a gift of God. Here's the good news, y'all. Jesus is resurrected. Amen. If you have yet to receive the resurrected Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I invite you to do that. How do you do that? I, I just I want to believe, I cannot believe. Remember, there was, a, there was a father who came to Jesus, and Jesus said, I can heal your son if you believe. And he said, I, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. God is ready to help your unbelief. If you say, I'm putting all that I have and all that I am, all my hopes, all my understanding, I'm, I'm betting it all on Jesus, you will not be disappointed. And you can pray to God honestly. Lord, I know that I need a Savior. I know that I've sinned and come short of your ideal your holiness. And I believe that Jesus, as best as I can, all that I have, I believe Jesus died on the cross, paid for my sin. I want to believe that he's raised from the dead, and I put all my hopes in that, and I turn myself over to you. Save me. He will save you.